Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Uh, good morning, church. Um, so good to see everyone uh, here today. Let me move the furniture again. Uh, I apologize. Uh, is this... Uh, okay, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> cool stuff. Uh, my name is uh, Temba Raskutuma. Uh, I am a husband uh, of one lovely, amazing, beautiful wife. Uh, as, as you heard this morning, a prayer warrior of notes. <laughs> Uh, so super thankful to God uh, for her, uh, but most of all, uh, super thankful to God for yet another opportunity uh, to get to preach and teach uh, from God's Word uh, this morning. Super excited to hear what it is uh, that God has in store for us, uh, and so my hope is that uh, through His Holy Spirit, He will prepare our hearts and our minds, uh, just as we get to see and unpack um, what is it that is in this book uh, called Daniel. Uh, you know, sometimes we think about the Old Testament uh, and we're just like, oh, all these funny names, these stories, it's super long, it's just like, hey, 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 hey. I, don't, I don't even want to deal with that, you know. I'll go to what seems more manageable, the sounds, you know, it's, it speaks to my heart. Everything else, I am not so sure. Oh, oh, we typically tend to go to the New Testament. We're like, hey, the English here is a, a lot more better. The Old Testament, hey, yeah, there's just things that don't make sense. Uh, but my hope, uh, my hope is that um, as we continue on in the series in Daniel, is that we'll continue to see that uh, God continues to be the same as he has revealed himself in the Old Testament, as he revealed himself in the New Testament. His attributes remain the same. The message continues to remain clear, you know, all the way from Genesis right through to Revelation. And so I hope that we are deeply excited, um, you know, and I hope we're also deeply challenged, you know, to dig into the text a lot more. I would strongly encourage you to, to like, go deep and, like, read Daniel even, you know, throughout the week, just to even get more familiar so that as we come and we get to hear more in this series on Daniel, that our hearts and our minds are excited, that we just drawn even more to want to hear what it is that God has revealed to us. Um, and so, before I get into it, uh, let me just do a short prayer. Uh, I tend to get very excited. Uh, and so let me just pray that the Lord would ease my heart, ease our hearts, and just, you know, lead us to enjoy Him. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and grateful for just your continued mercies um, and love upon our lives. We're thankful that um, your word remains ever true. We're thankful that uh, you are indeed a God who is faithful, uh, continually faithful um, to your word, to your promises, um, even to us, O Lord. Um, We're so thankful that indeed you are a sovereign God, that nothing surprises you, nothing goes past you. Indeed, you are all-knowing, and that is why you're so worthy of all praise, and that, Lord, would your kingdom continue to reign forever. Lord, would your kingdom continue to come. And Lord, would you truly help us understand, even as we get into Daniel 2 today, what is it that you are revealing to us, Lord? As you were communicating something, a message to this original audience um, in Daniel, Lord, uh, how would we then apply to the church today? And so, Lord, um, through your Holy Spirit, please minister to our hearts, Lord. Uh, Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, um, that we would just 
hear you speak to us, that your words would be illuminated to us, that, Lord, your word would be like sweet nectar that we just cannot get out of our mouths, just wanting more and more of it. And so, Lord, we pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Cool stuff. So um, I think a bit of helpful context would be at least to get an idea of what happened in Daniel 1. And so we are introduced uh, to this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. You know, he's the king of this massive and powerful empire at the time in the ancient Near Eastern world. And so what do we see happen is that Israel is besieged. Uh, by this king. Basically what that means is that Israel is conquered um, by the Babylonian empire. Uh, And what do they do? Uh, They not only conquer the land, but they even go to the extent of going into the temple and pillaging the temple, taking some of the ornaments of worship and taking it back to Babylon and putting it in the treasury of their own God, you know, to be kept there. And so not only are we seeing a nation, uh, you know, being taken into exile, we're seeing a people being taken away from their land, taken to this foreign land in Babylon, but also their temple of worship is also desecrated. It's also affected. It's also affecting how these people will then go on to worship God. And what does this king do? Uh, The king says, okay, firstly, I am going to take the best of the best in the society. You know, I'm going to take the young people, you know, those who are from noble, those who are from royal families. I'm literally going to take the best of the best that you have within this nation, and I'm going to take them to be a part of my world, my culture, there in Babylon, in the Babylonian empire, in order to teach them in his ways, in order for them to understand and assimilate into the Babylonian culture, to get their minds and their heads away from what they know and into a different world. And so why is that significant to know? Part of what King Nebuchadnezzar would do was that as he would conquer nations, he would want to create confusion in the people he has conquered by creating cultural identity confusion, by creating religious identity Confusion, And so the best way to do that would be, well, take them out of their land as well as whatever god or gods that they worshipped, affect that, pull that away, take that away and force them to assimilate into your way or into your culture of doing things, into your religion of doing things. And over time, the hope is that that nation or those people would eventually be wiped out, that those people would eventually not, not, no longer know who they are and now will be forced to become what the king's people or what the Babylon, Babylonian empire represents. And so that's a bit of what we see in the first or opening parts of Daniel. But then we go on and we're introduced um, to four young men, um, namely Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, you know, who then even go to the extent of undergoing name changes. And so they then become Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so remember what I said about, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar wanting to create that cultural confusion, wanting to create that religious confusion where you no longer really know who you are, 
you know, who your God is, what all of that means. And so that, hence the name changing is even significant. It already points to what King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do. Forcing these exiles that he has taken out of the land of Israel, forcing these young men and trying to assimilate them into the culture, into the ways of the Babylonians. Even what's significant is that these four young men's Hebrew names were linked or tied you know, to, to certain characteristics or attributes about God. But what does he do? He flips it over. And then the new names he gives them are linked to the gods of Babylon. And so really, King Nebuchadnezzar, in his power and in his might, he's thinking, okay, I've already taken the best of the best, and now I'm even going to teach the best of the best in my ways in order that their people would no longer worship their God, but that they would worship my God. But then what do we see in all of this? We go on to see God's favor and faithfulness displayed as these four young men choose not to defile themselves by eating the king's food. So, indeed, they choose not to eat the food for their very own lives. And they choose to show that we will not depend on King Nebuchadnezzar and what he tells us to do for food or for life. We will look to God and depend and trust upon him. At the end, Daniel and his friends looked fitter than the other youths who ate a high-calorie diet. So what did Daniel and his friends do? They're like, um, we're not going to defile ourselves by eating of the king's food. Because part of what, was, what that would lead to just a continued assimilation into Babylonian culture and the way of doing things. And because they're looking to be faithful to serve their one and true God, in the midst of a hostile environment, in the midst of being in an entirely different world, they choose to go against the grain. And so what do they say? Uh, me, me, I'll do a vegan diet. Get you know, veggies, water, I'll be okay. And in the end, I'll show you. You'll see that indeed, my God will sustain us. Whilst the other youths, whilst the other people continue to to eat the nice juicy steaks, you know, uh, the mac and cheeses, uh, all the amazing food you can think of. They ate that. It was a very high-calorie diet. But in the end, what happens? We see that they looked much fitter than all these other youths that ate a high-calorie high diet. So God goes on to give these four young men exceptional knowledge of Babylonian literature and wisdom. In addition, he gives Daniel the gift to know and interpret dreams and visions. And so that's significant as we then move on to Daniel 2, because that's now going to come at play. And so now let's start to dig into Daniel 2 and see what it is that God said. And so we have that foundation or that context laid out. Now let's see how the story continues to unfold. And so in this first section, from verses 1 to 13, the main points I'm hoping that we'll be able to see and that will be highlighted is that God is continually faithful and that God is sovereign. So God is continually faithful and he is sovereign. So in the opening chapter of Daniel 2, we see that the king had a dream. But this dream troubled him. 
And the king was just like, okay, I am going to bring in all the wise men uh, in my land. But particularly, he brings in the specialist staff of dream interpreters. He's like, I am getting each and every single one of them. He brings in the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, the sorcerers. You name it, they were there. That's how powerful this king was. That's how many advisors that this king had. I mean, he has the entire world at his hands. And so it makes sense that he has all these people. But what does the king do? The king was smart. I'll give him that. The king says this. (laughs) He says, not only am I calling you to interpret the dream, but first... I want you to let me know what the dream is. And so now the the plot twists a little bit. It's like, eh? So you want us to first tell you the dream and then interpret it? Something about this, uh, this is different. This is odd. Mm? But it was a test to see whether these advisors to the court have access to the hidden knowledge that they claim. Okay? In verse 5, he makes it clear that if they cannot tell him the dream, they will have no confidence in their interpretation. And as a result, he's going to execute them. And this is what he says. He says, you shall be torn limb from limb. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen an image of this before. But being torn limb from limb is basically having a a, a rope tied to both your hands, to both your feet, horses attached to each rope, and then each horse is then sent a different direction. And you can imagine, you can imagine what that looks like. It's very brutal, it's very gruesome, It's very gory. It's very violent. And that's the nature of who King Nebuchadnezzar was. That is the type of power that he had. That is why, obviously, he was able to conquer all these lands and that Babylon becomes this world empire because he rules with that iron fist. He's a powerful and respected man. And so the pressure is on for these sorcerers. Uh, It's literally a do-or-die situation. Uh, There's no Asia, no King Nebuchadnezzar, just, you know, uh, you know, let's negotiate, you know, brown envelope, you know, something. No. It's literally do-or-die. The king says, first tell me the dream, then interpret it. If you cannot do that, uh, then you are playing games. Uh, clearly, you guys lied to me the whole time. Clearly, whatever you claim to know or to have is not true. And so, these magicians and chanters, they try to bargain with the king. But he is firm on his position. And he's, in verse 10 and 11, they eventually admit, they're like, hey, there is not a man on this earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling 
is not with flesh. And so, these wise men clearly do not have true wisdom because they do not know Israel's God and what he can do. Their own words reveal the power of Israel God, Israel's God because he goes on to do exactly what they say is impossible. That is who the God of Israel is. What seems impossible to man is possible to him. And so, the king is now angry and furious by the statement that, you know, these sorcerers and magicians and Chaldeans make. And then what does he say? As a result, he sends out a commandment that all the wise men of Babylon must be killed. And now this includes Daniel and his friends. And so the king is not even saying, hey, I want to hear stories. He's saying, yo, I am angered by what these people have just said. They literally are telling me that what I'm asking for is impossible. Therefore, he sees no need for all these wise men. Kill all of them. Take them out of his land. So now, Daniel obviously receives word about this. And it's just like, hey, hey, it's about to go down. It's a do-or-die situation now. Uh, what do we do? How do we respond to this? And so Daniel responds by asking for an appointment with the king. Even though he hasn't received a revelation from God yet, what do you, you know, uh, when the guy's coming to say, hey, it's time for our execution, he's like, hey, um, check, 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 can I please have a, an appointment with the king? Even though God hasn't revealed to Daniel yet, what the dream is, how to interpret it, but it's already a display of faithfulness in that he's saying, yo, all I need is to meet with the king. Mm. Just a little bit of time, and then let's see what happens. And so he displays remarkable confidence in God. He displays confidence in the God of Israel. And so, God's continual faithfulness to his word, to his promises, to his trustworthiness, to not abandon his people, is revealed through Daniel as they are faced with adversity and challenge and death literally knocking at their door. So what does Daniel do? He gets this request, saying, can I please get a time where I'll get to see the king? And then immediately after that, he goes to his friends. He goes to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he says, Let us seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery. That's literally what he says. Yo, let's bow down, pray, turn to God, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that they're not destroyed like these other wise men. And what does God do? God does exactly that. God reveals the mystery to Daniel through a vision of the night. And so, unlike the gods of the Babylonians, small g, Daniel's god, uppercase g, is able and willing to reveal what will happen in the future. So Daniel gets the revelation 
from God. And then what is the first thing he, do, he does? He could have been like, hey, okay, got it. Hey, where's the king? We're about to die. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let me go tell the king quick stick so that we don't die. But what's Daniel's first response once getting the vision? He gives praise and worships God. From verse 20 saying, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So can you see True wisdom and true knowledge comes from God. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that what is, in the, what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. It is you, God, that has given Daniel wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask for and for you have made known to us the king's matter and so Daniel gives credit to God for revealing this mystery and makes that clear to the king as well so not only is Daniel giving credit to God and praising God and giving thanks but even before he gets to interpreting and telling the dream to the king, he first needs to make it clear that God is the one who did all of this. He's not shying away from the, tr- from the truth. He's boldly proclaiming it. So let's read verses 27 to 30. And this is what Daniel said when answering the king. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked for. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel's not taking the credit at all. He could have. And the king could have been like, yo, hey, Daniel, yeah, I know, you're the real one. You're the real deal. Uh, You're the one. But Daniel is quick to be like, you know, this is not in my wisdom. This is not in my understanding. But it's the God of heaven who reveals this to me. So Daniel's God revealed what astrology, magic, and sorcerers could not discover. And when we think about our context 
in South Africa. There's something important that we should learn from this. In our day and age, you find, what are they called, tarot card readers. Um, you know, they are magicians. They are sangomas. They are so-called prophets, even in churches, claiming to have all sorts of power, knowledge, and wisdom. Yet when their tests, yet when their claims are tested, they begin to fall short. The cracks begin to show. They fail to deliver on what they promise. They tell half-truths, convincing us that, well, perhaps then there may be some truth to this. Claiming that you can believe in Mudimu Lebadimu. Claiming that your dead forefathers have some sort of power over your life, that you end up fearing them more than you fear God. Take some time. Think about that. That is a heavy thing to consider. Is it worth fearing man over God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who created you? Man, when the going gets tough, would you not rather turn to the creator but instead, what do we do? We fall short. We so easily turn to create things. But what does that lead to? It may give us half-truths. It may partially satisfy, but it can never satisfy fully. It is never true wisdom. It is never true knowledge. And therefore, it is important that just like Daniel, we would first go on our knees and look and turn to God and ask that God, would your mercy be upon us? Listen to what the Lord says in Isaiah 44, verses 6 to 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. That's a bold claim. Very bold claim. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? Is there a God besides me? God is asking his people. God is asking Israel. Have you not seen what I have done for you? When I led you out of the most difficult and messy and worse of worse situations, yet I was unlike any other God. I proved and I showed that indeed I am a God who is faithful to his word. There is no rock, the Lord says. I know not any. So we see that 
God is faithful to his word here in Isaiah, as we see it proven to be true here in the book of Daniel. It is made evident to King Nebuchadnezzar that all these other gods, lower G, failed, but the God of heaven, uppercase G, revealed what they could not discover. That they tried. The sorcerers, the enchanters, they, they all tried. They, they even admitted, like, yo, I, ah, this one is too much, this one. This we cannot discover. But what does the God of heaven do? He indeed shows. He shows that he is sovereign, that he has all power and authority. He rules all of creation, working all things in accordance to his will. Even when it's not clear to us, even when it doesn't make sense to us, even in difficult life circumstances, God remains sovereign. When we hear about God's sovereignty, it's sometimes difficult to, to contend with or make sense of um, because on paper it's, it's great to talk about. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I know, God is sovereign, uh, but can he be sovereign there, not here? Um, because when it affects you, it's sometimes not so sweet, right? When you have to walk through that season of difficulty, of hardship, of pain, and struggle, with the hope that God is doing something through this situation, but when you're walking through it, when you're in that light, difficult life circumstance, when death is knocking at the door, how easy is, is it for us to be like, eh, yeah, no, God is sovereign. If anything, we get to a point where we begin to question and wonder, where is God? Does he even exist? And when we think about what King Nebuchadnezzar tries to do when he conquers all nations uh, in, in taking away their religious identity and cultural identity. What, what that is doing, what that does to people who are in exile, to the nations that are conquered, is that they may immediately begin to ask, well, if we were defeated, then where is our God? Is he powerful? Does he care? Does he not see our situation? Where is he? That's what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted. To create and spark that doubt in his people. But there is a fancy theological term. Um, it's called a tactical kingdom defeat. And so what does that mean? What it basically means is that God, in his sovereignty, brings judgment to his people because of their unfaithfulness and disobedience to his word. He brings judgment to his people through other nations. And in this case, we see that God is using this kingdom of Babylon. If you think back all the way to verse uh, 1 of Daniel 1, it talks about how God is the one who gave 
Jerusalem into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar may have thought that, yeah, no, it's me, I'm the real deal. As you can see, I've conquered the whole world, it's all on me. But no, God is the one who gave Jerusalem into the hands. It is God in his sovereignty who brings judgment to his people because of their unfaithfulness and disobedience. But God doesn't just leave them there. As we see in Daniel, his faithfulness to his word and to his promises that I will not abandon my people, that I will not forsake you, that I will make you a nation of many stars, multitudes, that you are my people and I am your God. God is still faithful to that. Even when they're exiled in a foreign land, look at God reveal himself to them. Look at the hope that he begins to spark and create in their hearts. And so, let's then move on to the second part of the passage. Verses 31, right through to the end, we get to see something important and massive about God's kingdom and what that means. So Daniel now interprets the dream. And it's important to know that God made known the interpretation of the dream so that Nebuchadnezzar would know that this great God controlled future events and so that he would never and so that he would be aware of what was coming. So God has, you know, a purpose and a reason in why Nebuchadnezzar has this dream because he wants to teach and show Nebuchadnezzar something. And so then, what is this dream? You know, uh, in Daniel 31 to 35, you know, we get a picture of what is this actual dream that the king had. And so we see that you know, the king had a dream or vision of this massive statue, but it was super frightening in appearance. You know, it was made of gold. You know, it was made of silver. It was made of bronze. It was made of iron. You know, it was made of clay. You know, it's like the head is gold. The chest and the arms are silver. The middle and the thigh, they're bronze. The legs are made of iron. And then the feet and the toes are a mixture of iron and clay. It's just like, okay? It's like this a massive idol. Like, what, what is this? What, what does this all mean? And then what we also see in the dream is that a stone is cut by a divine being and it strikes the feet of this great image, this great statue, and it is destroyed. And not just any destruction, like it withers away, basically into dust, unseen and untraceable anymore. No way to be found. However, the stone that struck the statue becomes this great mountain that fills the whole earth. So that's the dream. But now, what does it mean? Daniel then gets into it. He starts to interpret now. So he told the king what the dream is, and now he interprets it. In verse 36 to 45, that's where it all goes down. And so now, what, what does this 
statue? What does this image, what does this thing represent? Well, it represents four kingdoms um, that all once dominated or to the king at the time was that there will be four kingdoms that are still, come to, still to come, that there will be world empires just as Babylon once was at the time. But something that we see is that these elements are getting weaker and weaker as this image or statue progresses. It's like it goes from gold, and then it's silver, and then it's bronze, and then it's iron, and then it's clay. It's just like, okay, this thing was touching off well, but hey, what's, what's going on, you know? I'm sure for, for all of those who, who are engineers in the room, they're probably thinking, yeah, no, that structure is never going to last. Uh, that one, it was just a matter of time. Something was bound to happen over there. And so the sequence describes a downward trend of world history. Not toward a greater glory and unity, but instead leading to greater disharmony and chaos. That all these kingdoms, you know, they will all eventually come crumbling down, coming to an end. That even though at the time, the Babylonians, they were on top, you know, they were represented by the golden head. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar was like, yeah, really, that's me. You know, the golden one. Mm. But hey, history doesn't lie. If you go into the history books today and check what happened to the kingdom of Babylon, it was this great and mighty empire. Uh, apparently they had one of the most beautiful gardens in the world, one of the ancient wonders uh, of the world. But where are they now? Nowhere to be found, nowhere to be seen. And so the rock that crushes all these kingdoms is very significant for us to understand. What does that mean? Daniel says that the stone was cut by no human hand. What does that mean? The stone that comes to crush this idol, this statue, this image, is cut by a divine hand. comes from a divine source. And this stone is Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, when Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, giving an account as to why they're preaching about the resurrection and also why they continue to heal the sick and perform these miracles. This is what Peter says in Acts 4, verses 8 to 12. He says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the boldness which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. So the stone cut by a divine hand comes and crushes what what is represented as these world powers, these kingdoms, that who at one point, they probably thought that meant we're just going to reign forever, for years and years and years. But Jesus Christ, when his kingdom comes, when he reigns, crushes all these kingdoms and they wither away like dust. So what does this mean? What is the significance about this? Well, Jesus Christ, indeed, he is the only way in which we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. He is the only way in which we can be made right with God. These other gods, small g's, these other things that we so easily turn to, looking to find salvation in, looking to find satisfaction in, looking to find our hope in, looking to find truth in, there's no other name given in heaven under which man can be saved except Jesus Christ. So why turn to these other gods when you can turn to the one and only true God, our Savior Jesus Christ? The scriptures make it clear. It is only through him that we can be saved. A bold statement, because we live in a time that tells us that I know they're there. There are 10 ways, 5 million ways to get to heaven. It's all sort of the same thing. The scriptures make it clear. No, it's not. There's only one way. One way. And I I urge you, I challenge you, if in your heart of hearts, that question continues to linger as to, man, am I truly Am I truly part of God's kingdom? I pray that the Holy Spirit will transform your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that you would turn to the one and true God. King of kings and Lord of lords. The one whose kingdom will reign forever and ever. Not settling for these other cheap gods, for these other cheap things that give no life, but instead will lead to our downfall and eternal damnation. Turn to the one and true God. Salvation is only found in Him. And so ask yourself, pray that the Lord would make it clear to your heart. Pray that the Lord would truly lead you to Him, to have a relationship with Him, to not just have it ticked on a box, but to truly have a relationship with Jesus, with God, where day to day it is evident in your life that you have been transformed, that the Holy Spirit continues to work in you. Indeed, it is true. Jesus calls us to come as we are. We don't have to clean ourselves up in any way. But coming as we are doesn't mean that once we're Christians, We should stay as we are. No. Because the Holy Spirit is now at work and alive and active in us. 
there has to be evidence of change and difference in our lives. Not in our own strength. Just as Daniel says, I don't take the glory, I don't take the credit. It is God who does this work in me. And so, Jesus' kingdom shall never be destroyed. At the coming of Christ, this everlasting kingdom was inaugurated and has not yet come in its fullness until the second coming of Christ. It is the already and not yet. So Jesus' current reign as cosmic king is invisible. And it is the task of the church. It is the task of each and every single believer to give visible witness to this invisible kingdom of God. It is our responsibility. As Jesus Christ has called us to go and make disciples of all nations, it is our call, it is our challenge, it is God's commandment that we would go out and give visible witness to this invisible kingdom. At his return, he will fully consummate his reign where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. If you do not do it now, well, guess what? There will come a time where you will. And so my prayer is that we will truly look and turn to the Lord for salvation. That is not yet evident in our lives. And so then in closing, we see that Daniel then goes on to be exalted to a position of honor by the Lord's intervention. It's not because, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar is just like, yeah, no, Keshav, this one, yeah, no, it's time to take him up. They know. Remember God is sovereign, and through his intervention, he's exalted to a position of honor. And not only him, but he also says, hey, uh, King, bring my friends also there, you know, just, you know, uh, elevate them as well, you know, put them as well into a position of honor. But even in doing so, God in his sovereignty is now giving them a unique opportunity to promote peace and welfare in the city of Babylon where the Lord has placed them in that season. And so here are these exiled people placed in this foreign land who now have a responsibility to have an imprint, to now have a responsibility and opportunity to help shape this Babylonian city in the ways of the God in heaven. The God of heaven. And we too, that should remain true for us as Christians till this day. We are elect exiles. Hmm? Here on this earth as it is now, riddled and folded sin, this is not our home. But we await for when we get to go to the new heaven and the new earth, when the kingdom of God comes to its full consummation, where we can be able to just continue to sing praises and glorify and honor and worship the Lord. And so then now that we're still elect exiles here on this earth, God has still placed us and kept us here to have a unique opportunity 
to be witnesses of God, to have an imprint of what God has done in and through our lives in the different spaces that we are at, where we live, amongst our families, amongst our friends, where we work, at school, where we go and play and have fun. In all these different areas, we have an opportunity for us to continue to visibly witness about this invisible kingdom that is already but also not yet in its full consummation. But something that's just <laughs> always so so cool and just marvelous to see is that even, even those who do not know God cannot deny his reality when he makes himself evident. And you look at verse 47. Listen to what the king eventually says. He says, The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And so when you think back to this test that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, and you saw all these other sorcerers, all these other magicians, all these other so-called wise men fail. But then in the end, cannot deny that man, the God of Israel truly is God. But there's a bit of an asterisk in there. You just see God as a great God amongst gods. But remember what God said in Isaiah. There is no other God beside me. No other God. And I challenge each and every single one of us. My very own heart. For I know how challenging it is to wake up every day to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But the Holy Spirit abides, empowers us, and is active in us daily in our lives. And so we place our dependence upon God and his Holy Spirit, not in our own might, not in our own strength, as we live day to day. God truly is faithful. He is sovereign. His kingdom is everlasting. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and grateful for just your continued mercy, grace, love, majesty, justness, glory. Indeed, what a great and mighty and awesome and loving good God you are. We thank you that you continue to reveal your word of truth to us through your word. Even in the understanding and the knowledge that we're able to possess and have of it, Lord, we cannot take the credit. It is because of you. It is by you. Lord, it is for our good and your glory. Lord, lead us to be a people who willfully and joyfully submit to your will to acknowledge your sovereignty in all circumstances of life. Knowing that indeed you are a God who continues to remain present and is with us 
even when in our own hearts we may lack faith, Lord, you continue to be faithful. And so, Lord, would that be something that continues to compel us, to lead us, to challenge us, to look to you and to turn to you each and every single day, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, then all these other things shall be added unto us. Indeed, there is no other God beside you. Lord Jesus, you are King of kings, Lord of lords. And Lord, would you help us, lead us, Lord, in not giving in to these other gods, these other things that we so easily in our fallenness, in our sinfulness, in our weakness, turn to. We can sometimes think of you, oh God, as being so distant and so far away, and all these other gods feel so much more closer, feel so much more appealing. But Lord, guard our hearts that we would not give in to worshiping these false gods. that offers no hope and no truth, just merely lying and giving a false sense of truth and satisfaction. Lord, lead us and challenge us. Compel us to faithfully live as witnesses of your word and your truth in this world that has fallen, that is riddled with all sorts of evil and sin. But Lord, we know that that's not how the story ends. We know that already you conquered death. The evil one has been conquered. Death did not defeat you. That is why you are worthy of praise. As you reign now in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you continue to lead and reign, interceding on our behalf, uh, that it is not in our own strength or our own doing, but Lord Jesus, we know that it is all through you. So Lord, I pray for all those who still do not know you, for all those who are still uncertain amongst us, for all those who are still searching, Lord, they, would their hearts be transformed by you. But they know that the only way to enter into a relationship with you, oh God, is through Jesus Christ. And even in this relationship that we then continue to have is that it is sustained by you. Not by our own doing, but by your grace and mercy. And so Lord, may we enjoy you each and every single day. May we love you. May we seek you. And may we love those around as well. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.